Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God that contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. Also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Welcome to Know Your Bible. Glad you're back with us this week and ready to study the Bible with us. That's what we do each week for 30 minutes is take viewers' questions and try to find answers in the Bible. So if you've got a question about the Bible or maybe you've heard something, you wonder, is that really in the Bible? Or maybe there's something in your life or in the current events that you think, I wonder what God would have to say about that. Uh, we'll be happy to try to find you an answer in the Bible and give you the principles that the Bible has on a lot of things. So all you have to do is call or log in. We've got a phone number and a website on the screen you can use any time to get in touch with us. And we'll put your question in, in the stack and get to it just as quickly as we can. Introduce my partner, Toby Levering. Good morning, Toby. Hi, Steve. Glad you're here and ready to go. And we've got uh, plenty of good ones coming up. In fact, we're going to get ready for Halloween here in just a little while with yes, Toby's sir. first question. <laughs> but let's give you one first, our viewing audience. How old was Moses when he died? One of the great characters in the Bible. How long did he live? What was his age at his death? All right, Halloween question, Toby. Yep. Straighten us out We here. get this occasionally on the program. Someone <laughs> wants to know, is it okay for Christian children to go trick-or-treating? Uh, my answer to that is generally yes. And I say generally because I think, um, generally speaking, someone would ask, uh, I have young children, and, uh, you know, the holiday comes around, and they want to dress up in superhero costumes or princess costumes or different things, go door to door and get some free candy from the neighbors. And is there a problem with that? Uh, no, there's no problem with that. Obviously, parents need to use discretion and good judgment, as they should try to do at all times. Uh, but if you're asking in a more specific way to address the, the pagan connection with Halloween, the, the origins of it, and uh, should my child be associated with something with pagan origins, well, the, the fact is there are a lot of things in our world, uh, even the days of the week, uh, the, the calendar. Uh, there's so many things that if you trace it back far enough, you find the roots there in, in paganism. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that everybody who calls it Monday or Moon Day, as it was originally referred to, uh, as uh, is is uh, deifying a pagan god. Obviously, we understand that to be the case. So, uh, because someone celebrates and participates in Halloween, does not mean they're they're worshiping at the altar of a pagan god or participating in witchcraft or sorcery. And as long as they're not doing those things, I, I think it's perfectly fine and reasonable. Now, I suppose there could be people viewing that. 
uh, have maybe come out of paganism or have seen some some very dark things and they just do not want their children in any way associated with the day and I understand those objections and uh, considering your situation that would be perfectly understandable uh, if it bothers your conscience uh, for, for a parent uh, you should abstain you know the, the Bible gives parents authority over their homes and so within reason parents have the right to make decisions from on everything concerning what your kids do or don't do the time they go to bed what the punishments are for certain uh, transgressions misbehaviors uh, so it's up to the parents to make that call and if it violates your conscience as a parent uh, I think abstaining would be understandable but just don't make it a salvation issue and don't try to force it on someone else uh, and if it bothers someone else if you participate in Halloween you know it bothers a friend or a neighbor or a family member uh, you need to be mindful of that you need to be respectful and you don't want to do anything that would cause them to stumble Romans chapter 14 is a great chapter that speaks on this not directly to the subject of Halloween but more on these areas that we call uh, uh, disputable matters and uh, gives us some very good principles. I'm going to give you a verse from that and hopefully this will help. Uh, Romans 14.22 Whatever you believe about these things uh, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself uh, by what he approves. So uh, generally, yes, it's fine if you to your specific uh, uh, situation, use discretion and wisdom. If you abstain, that's okay, uh, but use a uh, good common sense and good biblical sense as well. Hope that helps. Alrighty, thank you. Uh, question about races and nationalities. Where did all the races and nationalities come from after Noah? Alright, well, let me correct one thing before we go on with this. Uh, the Bible doesn't talk about a lot of races. There's only one race, the human race. And today scientists can tell us our DNA is 99.999 something the same, no matter what uh, nationality or color or uh, ethnic origin we are, uh, humans are humans. So the Bible just doesn't talk about it that way. It does talk about nationalities and tribes and different peoples, uh, but it doesn't talk about different races. So that's kind of a recent term, I guess. Uh, Eve was the mother of all living. So she started the human race, and of course, as our viewers already noted, then we came to Noah, and we had a start over. Uh, the earth was destroyed, and only Noah and his family. So our viewer says, where did all the races and nationalities come from after that? Well, here's two Bible verses that explain things, I think. Let's look at Genesis 9 first, talking about after the flood. It says, the sons of Noah who went forth from the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. These three were the sons of Noah. And from these, the people of the whole earth were dispersed. So there's the first answer, or the main answer, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And some people try to uh, trace it to what tribes and nationalities came out of each one of those sons. But it says they're the ones that repopulated the earth. Now, there was one other event that probably accounts for all the different uh, nationalities, tribes, colors, and ethnic origins that we talk about, and that's a few chapters later. God had told Shem, Ham, and Japheth and their descendants to go and repopulate the earth. Well, they didn't follow orders. Uh, a lot of them got together at a place called Babel, 
and said, we'll all gather here and we'll build a tower that reaches to heaven and we'll make ourselves very famous and important instead of God. And God dealt with that. So here's what he did in Genesis chapter 11, verses 7 and 8, talking about the place of Babel. God said, come, let us go down there and confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth. All right, the Bible doesn't give us any more details than that. Uh, It just says he confused their languages, but it's pretty obvious or reasonable to assume uh, that God also changed some other things to separate people into tribes and nationalities and get them to spread out and live in different places. Uh, That has to be where the origin came from after Noah's sons went out. So it's all the Bible tells us. doesn't explain it genetically or with DNA or anything else. It just says there's what happened. Uh, So that's how it happened. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Next person wants to know about Joseph and Mary. Were Joseph and Mary married when Jesus was born? Well, Joseph and Mary were betrothed, and that's hard for us to kind of get our minds around because in Western culture, in in our uh, age, we kind of have a process of of, uh, maybe dating or courting, if you might call it that, and then there's an engagement when you have a uh, a, a tension, you know, a ring is given and it says, I'm going to intend to marry you and let's set the date, and then you have the day of your marriage, and up until that point of the marriage, it's not really in any sense binding. Uh, Jewish culture was totally different. A betrothal was as legally binding as a marriage. The only difference between a betrothal and a marriage was that the two had not consummated the relationship. And so it, it is a little bit hard to understand because we don't do things in that order in our world today. But they certainly were betrothed. A betrothal, uh, like I said, was legally binding, and so it required a legal uh a certificate of divorce to be able to separate the two and um so that may help you understand it just a little bit mary and joseph were betrothed uh, but they had not yet consummated the relationship and matthew is very specific and kind of spells this out for us a little bit better let's read matthew chapter 1 verses 18 through 20 now the birth of christ jesus christ took place in this way when his mother mary had been betrothed to joseph before they came together she was found to be with child from the holy spirit and her husband joseph being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame resolved to divorce her quietly but as he considered these things behold an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. So uh, they were betrothed. Uh, they were not technically married yet, uh, but from a legal uh, from a Jewish legal uh, standpoint, they were uh, as close as married and, and uh, just not quite there yet. All righty. Let me take just a moment and talk about a good way to study the Bible. We enjoy studying the Bible with you each week and hope we get a few of your questions answered. But the Bible's got a lot more than just 
questions and it's got answers for all parts of your life. So that's why we advocate home Bible study and uh, try to provide a way to help you do that. A lot of our students, our viewers are great Bible students, but some people need a little different way to study it. And here's one way. This is the opening course that we will send to you if you ask for it. And it's a good basic overview of the Bible. Then we've got some more advanced courses that we're happy to send to you. Once you've got the first one done, we'll just, uh, you can study quite a while with Know Your Bible Study Tools. We've recently added a uh, online study that you can get. Just respond to that website there and uh, tell us you'd like to study the Bible online, and we'll get you hooked up with that. So lots of ways to study the Bible. All of them are uh, good ways, got some accountability to them, and help you stay at it, uh, help you form a regular habit of Bible study, we hope. So we're happy to offer those absolutely free of charge, no charge for any of it. Uh, we're just happy to help you study the Bible, and we think you'll learn a lot about the Bible with Know Your Bible Study Tools. So log on or call that web, uh, or call the number on the screen, and we'll get you started. All right, question about evolution and creation. And if you're asked it this way, what is the difference biblically between evolution and creation? Well, I'm glad they put that in there because it's a little different question than just saying, what's the difference between evolution and creation? Uh, that's a big question. We could spend a long time on that. We could do a number of special shows on evolution and creation and there are people that uh, specialize in studying that and explaining all of the scientific parts of it but our viewer said what's the difference biblically and I think that's an important thing to think about the the Bible answers a question that all cultures ask every culture everywhere that's ever been has tried to explain where we came from uh, what are we doing here? How did we get here? Now, different cultures dream up different things. Uh, the Greeks had a mythology that the earth and the sky existed somehow, and they got together and produced the Titans, and then the Titans produced the Olympic gods, and uh, that's where everything came from. Uh, in Norway, there's a legend about fire and ice somehow got together and there came everything out of fire and ice uh, in Mesopotamia they said that fresh water and salt water existed and they got together somehow and from that came all the universe well like I said every culture wonders about where we came from the Bible answers that question this way in Genesis chapter 1 1 it says this in the beginning God the one true God Jehovah God the one true God created the heavens and the earth and the term means everything the universe so that's the Bible's answer to where everything came from is the one true God called it into existence and that's different from all the legends and the stories that every other culture has. So, biblically, what's the difference between creation and evolution? The Bible just says God created everything. Now, like I said, every culture had a legend that was somehow divine or miraculous or uh, godlike. Uh, not until 1850 or thereabouts did man get smart enough to come up with an idea that, well, it all just got here by itself. 
and that's what Darwin did. Uh, came up with the theory of evolution and said everything could have got here uh, just naturally somehow. And so from then on, we've had this idea, this theory of evolution that says somehow it, all the matter came into being and then it just developed naturally, survival of the fittest and all that. Uh, some people today claim that's science's answer. Well, it's not a scientific answer because science just observes things and nobody observed the beginning of the universe. So it's not a matter for science. It's a, it's a theory, it's a matter of faith, as is Genesis 1-1. And you've got to decide which one you believe. Now that's where we would get into the long, long program about well, what are the evidences and what are the proofs and well, what can we figure out about evolution theory and all that. Uh, but for this question, uh, I think that's the answer. The Bible says God created everything. Uh, the theory of evolution, the origin of the species from Darwin, says that it all just happened naturally. Uh, you got to have faith to believe either one. I don't have enough faith to believe evolution. It's just preposterous when you think about uh, the order and the, the design of the universe to think that that happened by accident. But uh, th that's the difference. The Bible says God created everything. Okay. Uh, you were asked the question about uh, what is the, uh, I'm sorry, is it true that the Bible teaches it's best not to get married? Well, uh, this is uh, an important question, not so much because of the topic itself, but because sometimes when we hear something from Scripture or we, we've heard it said, we have to be careful about uh, pulling a verse here and a verse there. The best way to read and study the Bible is to understand uh, Scripture in context. So when you read a verse that kind of makes you stop for a pause, it's good to read that whole chapter, and if, if, if you can, read the whole book, because it really puts that... Uh, you know, it's kind of looking like uh, a, a, a jigsaw puzzle. You look at one piece, you're, you're not going to get the whole picture. But when you, when you see that piece is where it's connected to all the other pieces, ah, then we begin to understand a little better. Uh, so this is in Scripture. I'm going to read it for you. It will not be on the screen, but Matthew chapter 19, verses 9 through 11, Jesus is... Uh, speaking here, she says, And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. The disciples said to him, If such is the case of a man and his wife, it's better not to marry. But he said to them, Not everyone who can receive can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. So in the context, again, as we put the other pieces around this, Jesus is talking about marriage and divorce and at that time, they had a very liberal standard for divorce. You could basically write a certificate to your wife for the smallest, tiniest discretion, and their their reasoning was for that. Well, Moses allowed that. Moses uh, made that uh, uh, allowance within the law to write a certificate of divorce, and they said, well, what? you just write those certificates as free and fast as you can. And Jesus said, listen, God has a much, much higher standard for marriage than you do. 
uh, you fail to understand what God designed in the beginning. What he intended was one man and one woman for one lifetime. Uh, the disciples then, as, as they listened to Jesus talking about this high standard and what God expected a man and woman to, to remain together for life, they said, whoa, whoa, that's, a, that's an amazingly high standard. It's better not even to get married. And, um, you know, Jesus said, some can do that, but not all can. So uh, marriage obviously is, is not wrong. It's not something that defies God's will. Uh, God created it. I mean, as the institution, the basis for families and for spreading out and increasing the population in the earth. But uh, Jesus was here just explaining the God's uh, very high standard for a man and a woman uh, in marriage and their the what you're asking about is the disciples' reaction to that. Um, and so let's read uh, another explanation from the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 8 and 9. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Now, again, you've got to put that piece in the puzzle, but to understand Paul's Paul saying that when you are single, when you're not devoted to someone else, you can focus fully and completely on the Lord and His purposes. And, and as Paul did, uh, you can focus on the mission work and building up churches and so forth. So there's some strong advantages to being single. But again, Paul's saying, not everybody can do that. And if you can't do that, you need to get married uh, so that you can um, um, uh, do what God's called you to do. And uh, so hopefully that helps explain a little bit. The Bible does not teach uh, that you should not get married. Hope that helps. Okay, I got a question about the death penalty. Would Jesus expect his followers to enact a death penalty? All right, let me answer that one in just a moment, but let me answer with this one first. Uh, God does approve of the death penalty. In fact, God commands the death penalty. In the New Testament, in Romans chapter 13, he's talking about governments, and here's what he says. The government, uh, uh, oh, if you do wrong, let's read Romans 13, 4. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he, government, does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant, an agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. So Paul says government has been ordained by God, and government bears the sword. And the sword is not a misdemeanor kind of thing. Uh, the sword is for capital punishment. Uh, he doesn't bear the sword for nothing. That's the government's role is to punish wrongdoers protect the innocent and punish wrongdoers. So that's God's principle in the New Testament. Now, where that came from was an eternal principle that God instituted after the flood. And in Genesis 9, we read about that. This is when Noah and his family came off the ark. God put them some new rules in place, and here's one. He said, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made man. So he says, here's the new order. You can eat animals, you can do all this, but man is different. Man is made in the image of God. And if anybody takes another's life, 
Uh, there were allowances for accidental death and all that. But if you take someone else's life, you have to die. You have forfeited your right to live among society, and you need to be put to death. So that's God's principle. Now, the viewer asked, would Jesus expect his followers to enact a death penalty? And I think that's a little bit different. Uh, There's not many roles in life where you would have to take someone else's life or be responsible for it. That would involve being a policeman, perhaps, being a judge, being an executioner at a a state prison, uh, those kind of things. And whether a Christian could do those uh, jobs is, to me, a matter of conscience. Uh, Your own conscience would determine whether you could do that or not. God certainly approves of the death penalty and commands it. uh, But whether an individual Christian could serve in a capacity where they had to enact the death penalty uh, to me is up to you. You've got to decide that and see what your conscience tells you. But the death penalty is approved by God. Take this moment and invite you to visit a church of Christ near you, and we like to mention a few each week. Uh, today, let me mention one in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, the Southeastern Church of Christ up there. Uh, our partners in that area and help us keep the program on the air there. So if you're looking for a church home or uh, if you're studying the courses in that area, uh, the Southeastern Church of Christ is the one that's helping you do that. Drop in and visit them sometime. If you know a member there, tell them you saw them on Know Your Bible and thank them for helping provide this program. Any area you live in, there's probably a Church of Christ near you. Uh, Drop in and tell them you heard about them on Know Your Bible. Okay, if you're asked the question, we get from time to time, where did Cain get his wife? Uh, Well, the Bible does not specifically say, uh, so we can't say with precision because the Bible just doesn't give us insight into that matter. But if you're reading along to the text of Genesis and you you have uh, uh, Adam and Eve and then then they give birth to Cain and Abel and it kind of just goes forward in progression, we we seem to... sort of separate ourselves from the idea that time passes between the sentences, sometimes the paragraphs, sometimes a great deal of time, and that there are other things happening in the world that the Bible doesn't tell us about. It's not the Bible's untrue, it's just the Bible does not, you know, only tells us the things that we need to know. Logically speaking, uh, Cain's wife would have been either his sister or maybe a niece or a great niece uh, somewhere related to him. That gives us a little bit of pause because of the world we live in today. But remember, this is a very pure DNA. This is a perfect world. Uh, God told them to go forth and multiply. And so actually, you know, as the family expands it, it, the only way that that could happen. So uh, the Bible doesn't say, doesn't spell that out specifically, but we do know that after Cain killed Abel, he feared for his life. He feared somebody else would take his life. And so that, that we can sort of understand from that that there were other people besides just Adam and Eve and Cain living in the world. So uh, there were other people and it was probably his sister or niece or great niece. Let's look at Genesis chapter 4, verse 17. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. And when he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son Enoch. So the Bible doesn't say, but very likely it was his sister, niece or great niece or something. All righty. You want to know what language did Jesus speak? And if we look at history and see what they spoke in that area, uh, some people spoke a little Greek, some people spoke some Hebrew, and some people spoke 
Aramaic. Actually, most people spoke Aramaic. Uh, Jesus probably understood some Greek. He was educated enough to do that. Uh, he probably knew Hebrew. Uh, but less than 10% of the people in Palestine at that time understood Hebrew. So it's very likely that Jesus mostly spoke Aramaic. The crowds could understand that. That was the common language of the people. And Aramaic is a little bit of a cross between Hebrew and Arabic and the best way to explain it. But the common language was Aramaic and Jesus probably spoke that, although he probably understood some Greek and knew Hebrew enough to talk to the religious scholars who spoke it almost exclusively. So probably Aramaic. Let's get our trivia question answered for the day. And how old was Moses when he died? Died at 120 and lived a pretty good life and had uh, an exciting life serving God, but died at 120. We're glad you've been with us today and hope you come back next week for more of your questions on Know Your Bible. Till then, you have a great week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational, and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions, and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.